¿Qué pues, parceros? Estamos aquí en el eh, podcast de la comunidad de MLOps, MLOps Community, y vamos a charlar un ratico de FastAPI y otras cositas, Type Annotations, computación distribuida y muy, cosas muy divertidas. I'm going to go ahead and call out first and foremost your shirt. You're wearing the Go Fast shirt for our man, FastAPI. Go <laughs> fast, don't die. That's so Kinda, perfect. Yeah, go fast for the Go Fast API. Oh, that's so perfect. I saw that like halfway through the conversation and I was like, I oh. didn't actually realize, but there you go. You didn't? Oh, man, I thought you did it on purpose. No, no, I'm not that clever. <laughs> well, this was brilliant. What were your top takeaways with talking with Sebastian Ramirez? I'm a little bit blown away. I need to kind of digest what just happened, but I think I said it right at the end. That it, It's very clear that Sebastian has that real deep technical knowledge hmm. and he's really honed in a few things he really cares about. Yeah. And he can now just bring that value everywhere he goes. Everything he touches, he yeah. can add that little sprinkle of magic and it's really powerful, right? Um, he had some cool ideas around like how to tackle those big problems mm -hmm. and how to, we kind of never mention it explicitly, but how to stay motivated do stuff that you care about, yeah. right? And like sort of be your own customer. So I really like that. He was very much like, he told us the whole story of how he created Fast API, and it basically came down to him scratching his own itch, right? Even though he tried to not do it, he was actively trying not to do it. And then he eventually does it and says, I got to do it because I can't find anything that does what I want. And when he rattled off the list of things that he wanted, Uh, I thought that was brilliant too, like yeah. how he knew very clearly, like I wanted to do this, I wanted to do that, I, I want all this stuff and I couldn't find anything that worked. And then the other thing, like exactly what you were saying, that really stood out to me, the, the bigger picture of him saying, here's what I'm really passionate about and where can I add value with these things that I'm passionate about? How can I go into other open source projects now, like what he's doing, mm -hmm. that will add extra value to these projects if I bring my little touch of magic to it? So that was super cool, man. This, this guy's incredible. Let's jump into the full conversation. And for those of you that are just tuning in for the first time, we would love it if you give us a follow or a like or wherever you're listening to this, if it's on Spotify or Apple, if you... Uh, subscribe to us and you leave us a little review it would be a huge help and the other thing that i will mention before we jump into it is that the apply conference is coming up again on may 18th and 19th i'm going to be hosting it surprisingly they have not fired me yet <laughs> they, they, i'm still the mc and so you can expect Yeah, I'm going to try and do another song before uh, before the end of it. And so there's going to be all kinds of good stuff. We've got incredible speakers that are coming up at that, like uh, some of the guests of honor that we've had on this podcast, but so many more, like really big names. Check it all out. We'll leave a link to the description to register. It's free, and I'll be there accompanying you the whole way. <laughs> Not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. But that's what we got. Now let's jump into the conversation that we had with Sebastian Ramirez. The main thing we should probably start with is FastAPI. And Sebastian, for the two people out there listening that do not know what FastAPI is, can you give us a bit of background on it before we jump in? <laughs> of course. Uh... I bet there are many more that don't know what FastAPI is, but yeah. So FastAPI is a Python framework for building web APIs, uh, and it's designed for web APIs, and it's built around like all the latest features in the in the language in Python. So mm -hmm. it has async support, even though it's not required to use async, uh, and it's all based around type annotations. So when you define a variable and you say, hey, this variable is of this type. It's a string or it's a float or something like that. That on one side, that helps the editor and other tools check that your code is correct. And it's what allows the editor to give you to completion and inline errors and all that stuff. And then FastAPI uses all those type annotations to, uh, to do data validation, data serialization, documentation, and uh, a bunch of other things. Uh, it's all based on open standards for mm -hmm. APIs. And as an end result, you end up having an interactive uh, documentation user interface for your API that is based and generated automatically uh, and is based 
on, on your code. It's based from your code. So it's blown up a little bit in the last year or so, I would say. And you could probably tell us when it really started to ramp up. But why would you, yeah. why do you think that is? Like, like you know, like I, I never expected it. <laughs> I, I, I thought that uh, FastAPI will be one of those hipster frameworks that uh, me and a bunch of other 50 people around the world use and say like, oh, this is so cool, but it's like no one else. Uh, that was that was what I was expecting, and that that was actually I guess like one of my highest hopes that there will be some other hipsters trying to use it. <laughs> hipsters not just with me. mustaches. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but it seems like the ideas I had and the and it's not just ideas I had; it's things I learned from a bunch of other frameworks and even other languages. And like I was just trying to put all that together, and it seems that like those ideas and trying to solve those problems was actually useful and important for for many others. Uh, and I guess that's probably what made it grow so much and like have so much adoption that it was something that was uh, useful and I guess kind of necessary for for a lot of people. Hmm. Yeah, that, and that, I think like when I first started hearing about it, I. Because the default was Flask, right? Everyone was just like, right, you're learning data science, where I came from, right? So it was like, right, learn data science, right, you need to productionize it, you got to build an API, there you are, there's Flask tutorial, blah, blah, blah. Where where was the tipping point? Because all of a sudden, like, all the articles now, it's like, right, it's Fast API, that's the go-to, <laughs> and things like that. Did you feel that happen, or did it kind of happen gradually? Uh, the, like I, I feel like it's it's been happening gradually and like just like going happening more and more. Uh, but you know, like like I came from from Flask. The mm -hmm. best thing I had before I had built FastAPI was Flask with a bunch of plugins. It's just that okay. it was a very fragile uh, setup with you know like trying to have plugins interact with each other that are not made to be working with each other and like it, it's it was quite more cumbersome. Uh, but it's like from all that uh, work and from all those plugins and all that open source contributions from other people is that I learned a lot of things that then I was able to apply to FastAPI. But actually, I, I I don't know. I feel like it's been just like steadily growing and steadily happening that is just like becoming this thing that it's the go-to in many cases hmm. for these types of uh, APIs. Uh, but yeah, like... I don't know. It's uh, it, it's still mind blowing <laughs> uh, for me to see uh, how how many people are using it and for how many things. Like from time to time, I hear like this. I don't know some huge corporation and someone says like, "Oh, we use FastAPI." Like <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> it's, it's very fun. Yeah, you're like, are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you sure you want to use my code? <laughs> Why are you trusting me? That's it. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. So there is um, one thing that I want to comment on with that is, is or ask the question about, it's around what has been some of the most surprising ways or use cases or people, like you said, corporations that are using Flask. All right. Yeah. Um, Fast oh. API. Sorry, not Flask. <laughs> well, Flask, I know there's a lot of people using Flask, <laughs> but uh, I don't know for FastAPI, I think that there's, there's several things that have been like completely unexpected. For example, I know that the, the, the uh, Telescope Institute in the United States, where they like use that to process the data of the telescopes of the world and all that stuff, and they are using FastAPI or, uh, I don't know, Netflix, Disney. Uh, over Microsoft that they're using my, uh, for Windows APIs. Or at least that's at least that's what, what I what I have heard. Like what someone told uh, once. I don't have uh, access to those companies directly. To many of those to know what they are using now, how they are using it now. But you know, like th there's still like a bunch of I don't know big big pharmaceutical companies, uh, things things like that. That. Yeah, I guess I never expected it to, to grow so much. And some of the, the strangest use cases I have seen are, for example, uh, streaming. I remember uh, someone once made a project that was streaming the terminal, like some, some command line terminal, through the web browser using WebSockets uh, and using FastAPI to handle all the stuff and to handle the communication between the terminal and the browser. And it was like, wow, this is, this is so crazy and so cool. Like, I, I didn't imagine you could do that. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. Or, or also to transfer data to simulate galaxies. I remember some people were doing something like that. I don't even know what that means, but it's very cool. <laughs> that's nuts. I, I guess that's always going to happen when something gets public domain and then everyone wants to use it and, and twist it and break it. Has like the opposite happened as well? Have um, through its popularity, I guess you've got more people wanting to contribute, wanting to do stuff and change stuff. How's has that kind of has anyone done anything that's blown your mind or you've looked at and you've gone, oh wow, like I'd never thought of doing that that way? And well, what's the biggest sort of lesson learned and things from that experience? Huh. Uh, th there's been a lot of things that I have ended up like having to, to learn a lot and having to understand a lot of the deep concepts and ideas. But like, you know, like one of the biggest of those was actually while I was still building FastAPI, uh, uh, seeing the code inside of Pydantic. Pydantic is so powerful and so simple to use. It's, it's such a good library. And you know, it's, it's a great library outside of FastAPI. On its own, it's just amazing. I, I think a lot of the data science world could benefit from Pydantic to be able to have like automatic data validation and type safety and all the stuff, uh, and in many other use cases. But the, so for the for the for the developer that is using Pydantic as a user, it's amazing. But the internal code of Pydantic uh, has to do so many complex logic and so many complex tricks to be able to to do this thing that uh, I remember when I was working on Pydantic itself, I was, like uh, trying to contribute and things like that, uh, it, it was so mind-bending, like all the things that it was doing and how it was uh, interacting with the internal parts of how Python uh, works with data and with, with objects and all that stuff. That, that was, that was, I think that was one of the most challenging uh, parts in, in, the, in like, the whole process. And how, how long does it take to like, how long does that take you, right, to learn enough to be able to comprehend that because i you talk even that's get i'm getting nervous you talking about it thinking god like i've seen big complicated tools and dived into the code base and it can be really intimidating to get even started with like what was the how long a process is that or is it something you chip away at yeah totally like i don't know it was like the thing is that the process with FastAPI in general was kind of strange because it's not that I said one day like, oh, I'm going to build FastAPI and then I just start building the thing. Uh, it was actually like, you know, years and years of using many different frameworks. I tried to use like almost all of them. I was avoiding building something new for a very long while. And I was like, no, 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 I cannot, I cannot try to to let's not make this uh, another ecosystem where you have a new framework every every two weeks so i was trying to avoid building something new and trying to just use the things that were available and trying to find the best like the sweet spot of all the features and all the things that i wanted to have uh, and then when i found the right tool for that the author had to deprecate it and that was like i think that that was the last uh, the last drop to say like okay let's try to build this thing but then there was a lot of time just studying the standards. So FastAPI is based on uh, OpenAPI, which is a standard for building APIs. And that in turn uses another standard called JSON schema. And it also uses, uh, which is for defining JSON payloads, for defining the, the, the content of uh, JSON objects. And uh, the, uh, that OpenAPI standard also uses the other standard called OAuth2, which is for doing authentication and authorization. So it was just, a long time just studying those standards to try to understand, okay, how can I make something that is built around this and that is, is uses these concepts and like reuses them and like exposes them in code in the simplest way possible. Uh, and it was just like a lot of learning and just a lot of uh, studying and trying to figure out what was the best way to do that. Now that, that then after, after all that process of learning the, the standards, it was actually just, uh, well, I decided uh, let's go with Starlet and Starlet was made by the same person, by the same Tom Christie, which is amazing. The same author of this previous library that I thought was the, the perfect thing. The, the previous library was called API Star, and he had to deprecate it. And Tom Christie the, uh, was creating Starlet, which was this very high performance uh, micro framework slash toolkit for Python web development. He is the same author of Django REST framework. So mm -hmm. it's a lot, of, a lot of learnings from building APIs starting from the Django world, taking that over to, to API star, which was this previous framework, and then like just 
focusing on the micro framework. And then I was just taking all those learnings and like inheriting all that, all that work to, to build FastAPI on top. But then I wanted to mix it with Pydantic that had all this uh, great uh, user experience and like interface to work with data, uh, just using standard type annotations so that you don't have to import and learn some new class for defining strings. You just use the standard Python string. You just use the standard Python float and all those things. And then it was just also a lot of work uh, in Pydantic implementing JSON schema, which is this other standard in Pydantic, so that Pydantic will have support for JSON schema. So uh, I, I do all that stuff to then be, uh, to then finally be able to integrate that JSON schema from Pydantic into OpenAPI and put all those things together. <laughs> so it was just a lot of uh, building the, the recipe ingredients and like making sure they were in place before yeah. actually cooking the thing. <laughs> Uh, so so it, it was like, I don't know, like uh, the, the moment when I started building FastAPI itself, I had been working on trying to make that thing happen for, for quite a while. Yeah, okay, I get you. And what were the main pieces that you felt like were missing when you were out there window shopping? What was it that was like, damn, this has this, but then it doesn't have this. And then maybe there's another one that does have that. And then it doesn't have this. And so you need to have them both, but you can't use them both. And what were those pieces that you were like, I really need this. So huh, there's actually a bunch. <laughs> I wanted to have a, I wanted to have to start. I wanted to have auto-completion, an inline errors in the editor. I have really bad memory <laughs> and I, I want the editor to tell me what is the thing that I have to, to type. I when, I, when I'm trying to make a string uh, in uppercase letters, I never remember, is it upper? Is it uppercase? Is it capitals? I don't remember the names of the methods. Uh, even more, when you are working with Python, that like one of the, the best features of Python is that you have the flexibility of using so many libraries and so many packages so for so many things. Uh, so you're normally just using new packages and new libraries. There's no way to just memorize all the methods in all the things that you are using. So I really like being able to have auto-completion. I wanted to have that. I wanted uh, to uh, avoid as much as possible code duplication and information duplication. You know, in, in many frameworks and in many tools, you have to say in one place, hey, name is a string and age is a float. But then again, you have to say the same information in another place for uh, in one for documentation, in another one for data validation, in another one for serialization for the output of the data, and maybe in another one to save the thing in the database. And you have to use four different ways of declaring that something is a string, which is not necessarily code duplication because you are doing it in a, in a different way, using a different class from whatever specific library is, but it's still the same meta information sort of, with the same metadata of that particular uh, model, of that particular data type. Uh, and I wanted to avoid uh, all that duplication of information because keeping that in sync uh, is, is very, very error prone. And it, it uh, introduces a lot of bugs in the future when you have to refactor and change things. So I wanted to avoid that. I wanted to have a best practices by default. I wanted to be able to have data validation and to, like, you know, when I was building uh, simple APIs uh, with Flask and with other tools, uh, the, doing the getting started uh, guide in those, in, those, uh, in those tools, in those frameworks is pretty straightforward, but then you quickly realize that you have to validate that the data is correct and that what you're receiving is actually correct. And then you end up having 50 lines of code with uh, if statements everywhere, trying to check if this is actually a string or not. Uh, and I wanted to be able to have that solved by default. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted so many things. I wanted to have very simple code. I wanted it to be very short so that you didn't have to create an instance of a class to then pass another instance to another function to some, you know. I wanted to have great support for all the editors. So I, uh, and that was actually part of the process of building FastAPI. Before writing the internal code, I wrote the, the design of the interface that the final user would actually use. For, and I tested it in several editors. I tested it with Visual Studio Code, with PyCharm, and with editors based on Jedi, which are like most of the others, to make sure that like everyone will have the best developer experience because that, that's what I was targeting. Like I was targeting myself as a developer. I wanted to have a good time, but then I wanted like, if anyone else is coming from any other editor, I want them to have a good time developing with this thing as well. 
Uh, and I wanted that I wanted to have a automatic interactive API documentation. I thought that was amazing, and it's the, that was the first time I saw that was with Django REST framework. And then I realized, uh, then I discovered that there was uh, a new uh, a new standard for defining APIs with OpenAPI, and it has Swagger UI that could interpret the, that definition of the API and provide this amazing interface. So I wanted to have the thing based on that. And I wanted, the, I wanted it to be able to have good security tools and authentication, authorization, roles, permissions, whatever was needed. I also wanted it to be as independent as possible from any other tools. So, so it, it wouldn't need plugins. It wouldn't need any particular database or any particular, like you can just like import the package that you want to use and just use it directly. Uh, I want, I don't know what else I wanted to, I wanted to have dependency injection too. And I, actually I brought that from the front end world, uh, working with TypeScript. Uh, and I wanted to have these, these, these features uh, here as well. I think there was a bunch of other things, but I'm already talking too much. So yeah, I, let, let's leave it there. <laughs> it's, it's funny because we kind of going through some of this, um, I've been through this kind of discussions around language choice and tool choice in the past in places I've worked. And it, it's almost like you wanted it to just not be Python, almost. But like, it's like, <laughs> that's all the stuff that you kind of get from by some of the more mature tools in other frameworks and stuff like that. Or flip that on its head, you wanted to make a really mature tool, but for Python, right? Which is a really, really cool, like noble sort of endeavor. And that kind of leads me down the path of thinking as a, like, a standard dev who's maybe quite experienced, um, but frustrated with the tools, right? And they're, they're gonna build the next fast API, right? But they don't know where to get started. What kind of advice would you give? Like to, yeah, someone that's technically capable, probably has the time and the inclination, but just doesn't know what to get going with. Is it just start building? Is it contribute to other people's stuff? Is it find a community? Where would you go or what advice would you give? So, the, well, first, I don't think I'm great at giving advice, but I think that the main advice I normally give, and to everything, is to focus on solving a problem. If you can find, and, and you know, like, I, I have this maybe kind of controversial opinion that there's a lot of, like, I don't know, a lot of information and study and things around innovation and disruption and things like that. And I don't like those words very much because I feel those are side effects of solving a problem. I consider the main thing is actually solving a problem. That's a great point, yeah, okay. And the, uh, uh, that, that also helps me focus a lot more on what to do. You know, like when, when you're trying to learn something, it's like, okay, like I, maybe I should be a master in Python or something like that. And it's, it's, that's a painful path because you can never learn everything there's to to know about Python or almost any other area, is in particular if you're in technology. Uh, but then uh, being able to focus on a particular problem that is important to you, in my case, like something that was important to me that I wanted to solve, that helped me guide, like, should I learn this or not? Is this actually really going to contribute to solving the problem I'm interested in or not? And that can help a lot, like, decide what to do and what not to do. On the other hand, uh, on the other hand, no, on the, on the other side, if this problem is important to you uh, and it's important to you as a developer in this case, there's a high chance that it will be important to other people as well. And if you uh, find a way to solve it in a nice way, it's probably going to be helpful to others. Uh, and uh, as part of solving a problem, the, the first thing that I try to do and the first thing that I think is, is useful to do is try to find existing solutions. So be, be, becoming a power user before trying to build something from scratch. Because there are many solutions that are already great and that can, can already cover a lot of use cases and a lot of uh, things that maybe are not obvious to, to, to you or to me like when building something from scratch. So trying to learn like how to use the things that are already there and that might already solve the problem, I think that's a great start. Uh, but then if you see that it's not really solving the problem or it's not really solving it in a, in a way that is convenient enough or it's not as close as the thing that you wanted to have enough, then, then it probably makes sense to just try to, to build something that, that sort of satisfies that, uh, but focusing on solving that problem. Yeah, I love that you scratch your own itch. But before you scratch your own itch, you make sure that there's not a back scratcher there. 
and like <laughs> yeah absolutely that i think that's the perfect analogy <laughs> so it and that makes a lot of sense on what you did your path was oh, i'm gonna go and try and do something like i really don't want to build anything that was your mentality it's like again <laughs> I, I really would, if I can, I'm going to stay away from trying to build something. And then you went and explored and explored and explored until you got to the point where you thought, oh, well, I can use this. And lo and behold, that what you wanted to use was getting deprecated. And you're like, shoot, man, maybe I need to build something. <laughs> maybe yeah, now's totally. the time. So I'm wondering, totally. how, how do you go about making Fast API better? And are you doing like I can see a world where you're spending your nine to five in like meetings or user meetings, user research, trying to figure out what the next best thing is, or is it still just you're trying to scratch your own itch every step of the way? There's a still a bunch of things uh, that that I already have in mind and that, and that I already want to improve and that I already uh, see that 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 I want to happen. Uh, in particular, to simplify the developer experience, to simplify things that are already uh, uh, that can be improved, uh, and I think like a lot of that is already like on the on the at least on the short term backlog. Uh, but then at the same time, I'm also hearing a lot of uh, people asking for things and like you know, for example, right now I'm in the middle of this uh, complex refactor to improve some things to to allow uh, doing certain things with routers that uh, with with some particular internal component for those that don't know much about fastapi some some internal part that you will normally use in one way i want to extend that to allow using it in in uh, more ways but then like you know this this refactor touches so many things and so many so many particular corner cases that have come along in previous issues and previous pull requests and that already have tests there and things like that. Uh, in many cases, th things that uh, I'm not personally interested in, but I know that there are some other users that are interested in having those features. So it, it becomes increasingly more complex to, to make sure that I satisfy like all the needs of, of everyone. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting challenge and it's an interesting problem. And at the same time, there's also a bunch of things that uh, uh, like I have been getting more and more involved in the type annotations with Python and these things, uh, and I get to to see and to understand a bit more uh, every time a little bit more how all these things work and how I can improve all the type annotations and how they are used internally in FastAPI, how to make things easier and more more, more obvious and more intuitive, uh, you know, all these things. So, so yeah, there's a bunch of things that I want to improve in that to make like all the, the experience and all the development uh, nicer. What specifically are the things that you want to simplify and, and why are they cumbersome right now? So, for example, there are some particular parameters that you can pass to, for example, to, to OAuth objects. Uh, and they receive a dictionary that will have some particular variables and some particular, some particular keys with some particular types. Uh, and right now, uh, in the internal FastAPI codebase, this is defined as a Pydantic model, but you can also pass a dictionary with the same fields as the Pydantic model. But the thing is, if you start typing the dictionary, you will not have autocompletion for the keys that you will have there. And now there is a, there is a new, uh, well, relatively new type annotation in Python that is called typed dict that allows you to define uh, something like a Pythantic model, but it's put for defining uh, dictionaries and the keys and the types of the values of those keys for dictionaries. And if I can define these parameters as type dicts, then uh, uh, tools that can check for uh, inline error, for, for type errors can show inline errors when you are passing an incorrect key and things like that. And uh, recently, like I have been so so excited about this type thing because I knew that this will allow uh, editors to provide better auto-completion for dictionaries. Uh, Visual Studio Code had support for that uh, uh, for a while, and now PyCharm recently added support for auto-completion and inline errors for these type things. So now you can have, you can start a dictionary. For example, let's say you're calling a function, and then you say uh, you're gonna pass the parameter, and this parameter, let's say, is called options, and options equals, and then you start the dictionary, and then you hit uh, command space, control space, or like whatever is the key to trigger auto-completion, 
And then the editor now in in, in modern editors and now is uh, PyCharm added that like last week or two weeks ago. It's, it's very recent. Now they will provide you auto completion for the keys of the dictionary that you can pass to that dictionary options and things like that. Of course, it requires that the options parameter is annotated as that particular type dict. So I want to add uh, type dicts to a bunch of the parts in FastAPI that will receive options so that so that you can have more auto-completion. <laughs> I'm always optimizing auto-completion, I guess. Oh, I love that. I've, so I've got like a more MLOps focused question that I really want to ask, but part of me really wants to ask, you've talked a lot about scratching your own itch and solving problems that frustrate you. How, what is it, do you have a rough estimate on how much of your time do you now spend building uh, fast API versus using it to actually solve the problem? You, <laughs> you know, you know that that's also, that's also, that's also something that I find very, very interesting and very intriguing is that many open source developers end up spending much more time maintaining the open source code than working with it. And I feel that, I feel that is, I feel that is dangerous because uh, implicitly you will end up trying to optimize uh, reducing the, 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 the work and like scratching your own itch as maintainer of the code, yeah. not as a user of the code. Yeah, so I, I try to make an effort to uh, do things that require me to use FastAPI as a, as a developer so that I can, I can feel the pains that developers will have and that I can figure out like, okay, I need to improve this thing. I need to improve this other thing. For example, another of those things that I want to improve is that when you declare a Pydantic model, for, for example, for a response, and the data that you are returning back from the function is not valid, then that means that the, the that is a server error because you are saying, you are telling the client, hey, I'm gonna give you this information, but then you are giving it other information. So this, the error says like, hey, this, this is invalid. Uh, I'm not gonna just let it pass through and send the client something that could be uh, invalid and like that is breaking the contract or something like that. That server error uh, currently shows a very long stack trace that doesn't give enough information of where the problem exactly is. That's something that I want to improve. And that's something that I get to see when I'm working with a big FastAPI application and it's like, oh no, where is this problem? <laughs> where is this happening? Uh, and then like I have to go through the pain of finding out where that thing is, but uh, seeing those things as a user from the perspective of the user that is using the tool helps a lot uh, helps a lot in, in guiding, again, in also guiding the direction of like where to go next and what to improve and what, what to do. That must be really, like, must be a really useful sort of experience, but at the same time, you can't really be angry at anyone because like, <laughs> you, know, you put it there. So, right, I wanted to get onto the, uh, an MLOps question then, thinking about, so if it wasn't fast API, right? So say yep. that already existed, someone else was doing it. Yep. Do you have a feel for what the what would be the next itch you were going to scratch in like the MLOps space? What do you think is missing? What what frustrates you in that space that you think, yeah, actually, I could take a good stab at this and build something that that would complete the toolset? You know, like uh, in general, in the MLOps uh, area, or like in in APIs. In just in general, in the MLOps areas, but I think both would be interesting. Whatever, yeah. You know, you know, uh, and, and this is actually quite quite fun. Uh, I just uh, started working a little bit with uh, with AnyScale, the creators of Ray, which is this distributed computing and distributed uh, machine learning and like general distributed computing system for Python. And I think that's that's an area that can that can benefit from like you know like this auto completion and type errors and like all these things, all these all these uh, all, all these things that I am always obsessed with, and they they are actually doing a great job with that. Uh, but it's still like, you know, like being able to see if there's something that can be improved and like, and like to do over there is, is amazing. And that, that's precisely what I'm, what I'm uh, going to do with them. Just like check documentation uh, and check the, the, like if there's anything that can be improved in the type annotations so that developing distributed applications uh, can be as nice and enjoyable and, and safe as possible. Safe in terms of like uh, being sure that your code is not broken and that you're not using incorrect types and, and that type of uh, thing. So yeah, that, that, that's something that I think is, is very, very cool. Where do you feel like right now the landscape is going? How do you see it changing over the next 
one year, five years? One thing that I feel is gonna is gonna is is gonna improve a lot and it's gonna be great is that uh, recently there was uh, it was accepted a new way to define type annotations for n-dimensional arrays or uh, n-d-arrays tensors uh, however you want to call them and to define uh, as part of the typing information to define the sizes of these uh, tensors of these n-d-arrays or this uh, whatever that means that uh, at some point in the future because like that needs to be accepted as part of the language as part of python itself before it can even like be used by libraries but now that it was accepted i'm pretty sure it was accepted maybe i'm, I'm saying something wrong but i'm pretty sure it was accepted now uh, libraries can actually use it and that means that numpy tensorflow pytorch all these things can start adding type annotations with that information and that will mean that uh, when you are i don't know when you are multiplying one matrix with another in NumPy or TensorFlow or whatever, you will be able to have inline errors right in the editor, like the red squiggly line telling you, hey, there's a, there's a size mismatch in these two matrices. They are not compatible. You cannot multiply one by the other, things like that. I think that's, that's gonna be amazing. Like, you know, because right now, a lot of that stuff can only happen at runtime. You have to run the script to then see uh, how it explodes and then try to figure out where is the problem. And like, for example, that like uh, mismatch of sizes is something that is normally very difficult to debug. Like it takes a long time to realize like, oh, of course I have to flip the, the this, this uh, matrix first because I'm multiplying it incorrectly or like I put it in the wrong side. I have to multiply the, the other by this one, not this one by the other or things like that. You know, like that in many cases are just like simple dumb mistakes, but being able to notice that very quickly right in the editor, right in the point where that is happening, I think that's going to be like a massive productivity booster. Uh, I, th I think that's going to be, that's going to be amazing. The other thing that I feel is probably going to uh, happen and that I hope uh, can happen is uh, a bit more of interaction between the machine learning world and the async uh, Python world. Ah. Because right now, most of the machine learning and uh, ML, uh, ML ops and data science and all these uh, types of things, uh, uh, APIs and packages are blocking and you never use async and await. You just like code the thing directly. But being able to mix both and being able to and learning how to do that properly and how to uh, use async and await and at the same time use machine learning, that will allow a, a, a lot of improvements in, in, in performance and in terms of concurrency and in terms of distributed applications and things like that. So I think that's something that could, uh, could improve a lot. And Python is, is made to like... The way Python is growing right now makes it such a good language for doing a concurrent code, for doing mm -hmm. async and await things and for, for interacting with that. And that plus the fact that Python is the language for machine learning, uh, I think it's, yeah. it's, it's going to be a, a great combination. So then what things aren't going to change? Like if you had to bet this will still be the same in five years, and not because you want it to, just because you feel like this is what we've decided on, maybe. What would you say? Where would you put your chips? Uh, um, what would not change? Uh, <laughs> so, for example, I know that uh, there's most certainly not going to be a, a breaking change like the change from Python 2. Point whatever to Python 3. Point, uh, whatever, because that, the, that made a lot of code inco uh, incompatible with uh, whatever was the previous versions. And that, that was a very painful transition. And it was very painful for the maintainers of Python itself. Like, you know, having to deal with all that, having to deal with, with all, all the users and all the things. Like, that was, that was something that, that, uh, that was a very painful transition that they are all like, like, you know, like hey, you just mentioned the uh, Python, uh, the transition from Python 2 to, to 3 and they all like, you can, you can see them like shiver. <laughs> it's like, oh no, <laughs> they are not, they are not gonna do anything that will break backwards compatibility uh, that way, uh, not easily. Um, so I don't think that's something that, that will happen. 
I also don't think that Python will get like super specialized in one particular area or like, you know that, oh, suddenly Python is only used for data science, but is no longer used for, I don't know, for terminal applications or for web development. Or for, I don't think that's going to happen either. Uh, I think it's just going to keep growing. Uh, I mean, like, I don't feel this, there's an area that will suddenly diminish and just disappear or something like that in Python. Uh, so, yeah, like, it's, it's, I don't know, I don't know if it's, it's a good answer or not, but it's something that is not, that I feel is not going to change, like the di diversity of things that you can do uh, with Python. I, I will think it. that, yeah. Yeah, I think that's perfect. That's a great answer. One thing that I'm wondering about, I want to change gears real fast and get a bit more into the human side of you and know about like, because I've seen your, you went all over the place. You were in Colombia or you started your life journey in Colombia. And then you went to Saudi Arabia. You're now in, um, you're now in Germany. There's got to be a lot of cool stuff that's happened along the way. I would love to hear about Saudi Arabia, but I also just want to know, like the main thing I want to know is how has your life changed since fast API? Like how have you as a person started to, what has changed, I guess, is the main thing and how? Huh. That's, that's, that's a very interesting question. Like so much has changed, I like, know. you know, so much had changed even before fast API, you know, like from Colombia, I'm from Colombia, uh, Latin America. That's why the accent for those that haven't noticed. <laughs> uh, and like, uh, I ended up in Saudi Arabia and Bahrain, which is like the, the island on the side, and then in Dubai for one year and, and a half or something like that. And then now in Germany and now in from Germany, I'm working mostly for companies in the United States, uh, but remotely. So it's like this weird thing, like all over the place. And like that, that implies a lot of changes. But after FastAPI, like, I don't know, it's so, so many things have changed. It's so, it's very strange. It's, it's, it's really strange. It's, of course, it's super exciting and very cool. And like, uh, I get a lot of things out of it. Uh, but, but at the same time, it's quite strange. Like, you know, uh, and you know, like one, one thing that I think is particularly fun is uh, I build this whole thing, fast API, yeah. on blah, blah, blah. And I built this library for building command line applications uh, typer, which is like with the same style of fast API. Uh, and then I built this, this uh, library for communicating with, with databases uh, built on top of SQL Alchemy and Pydantic, which is like kind of uh, an ORM or something like that. Uh, but the, the, the thing that got me more followers on Twitter was one tweet that was fun and that went viral. And that was just like mildly fun. <laughs> And like, that was the thing that, that was, that, that, uh, gave me the most exposure, I guess. I don't know. It was very strange uh, because like I worked so much in fast API and I made a joke about fast API and that's what was super, super viral. And like, like what brought a lot of people to, to see what I have to say and like, Hey, I, I won't say a lot of fun things. Like I'm just talking about fast API and Python. I'm, I'm mostly boring, <laughs> but yeah. And I think that what you said, that famous tweet has made its rounds all across the machine learning and even software engineering internet, because if, if you don't know and you're listening and you're wondering what the tweet is, it was something along the lines of like a recruiter asked me if I had experience in fast API and for or like seven years experience. Right. And I said, no, I only built it five years ago or something like that. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a job post that, that required uh, four plus years of experience in fast API. And I couldn't <laughs> apply because I built that thing one and a half years ago. Yeah, uh, exactly. That was the tweet. And like the idea that and the, the end of the tweet was maybe we should reevaluate uh, that idea that the skill level is the same as the experience in years, which mm. is something that I really, uh, I don't know, something that I feel very deeply and I struggle a lot with. I don't like it when, when companies require years of experience mm. because I feel like that's a very, very bad proxy for skill level yeah. and for uh, skills. Yeah, because you could have just yeah, been sitting around doing nothing for 10 years at some big company or whatever and not gotten fired, just, just doing the minimum. And then you have those yeah. 10 years and you're getting the, and someone who actually is hungry and wants it is getting passed over 
because there's somebody else with 10 years and this person who's hungry only has one year. Totally, totally. And at the same time, uh, 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 at the same time, you have like, I don't know, this person that is just that, that uh, was doing the machine learning data science or blah, 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 and then had to start doing a front end at this startup. And then like it was just a startup and it was just this massive amount of work that then became an expert in front end, yeah. leading a team of 12 developers at the same time. And like, you know, the amount of experience that this person can have in one or two years is just massive compared yeah. to what someone that can have five, eight years uh, uh, building the same exact backend application with the same database, with the same thing, like, you know, not, not necessarily solving a new problem. Like the, the difference is, is uh, the, the imbalance is very high in these things. So, so yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like years of experience is a, a, a bad estimator. You know, it's, of course, it's an estimator. It's an indicator. Like it has some kind of correlation, but I think it's not great. In particular, now that technology is advancing so much. Maybe some years ago, when everyone was just writing Java with the same database and with the same things, and like, mm -hmm. yeah, well, if it has, if that person has most more years, like they have to have seen more problems, and like that's it. But nowadays, that that you have like new frameworks, new tools, new, new features in the languages, and new ways to do things that are faster. And, and more productive than the ways that you had before. Uh, uh, like it, everything becomes more more relative. Completely. So yeah. You touch on an interesting point there. Um, and I think it ties in with the kind of journey you went through with eventually starting to build fast API. But people like, especially in the MLOps space and the machine learning space, there are so many tools and libraries and frameworks out there it's hard to, you can't become an expert in them all. It's in fact, it's hard to even use them all, right? How, like, how do you pick the winners for you? Or do you just stick to one and get good? Or do you think, what's your approach for like sifting through all that stuff, right? It's hard. Uh, that, that's a good question. And like, I don't have it figured out and it's so overwhelming. And like, you know, like I see, I see in particular people that are new to, to the field, like people that are learning and that they feel so overwhelmed and they feel like this massive imposter syndrome, but they don't know that we all feel the same imposter syndrome and that we are all feeling like, oh, this is so impossible to learn everything, you know? I remember, I remember the author of PyTorch tweeting about it like some months or, or maybe one or two years ago or something like saying, I don't know how to keep uh, how to keep uh, 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 like keep the pace of the things that are changing. Like how do you how do you keep reading papers, reading these things, like learning new libraries? It's I, I feel it's it's very difficult and very complex. My my personal approach is like well before I used to read a lot of blog posts trying to compare one thing and the other, but then in the end in practice I ended up realizing that these blog posts. Uh, in the end are like in one way or another biased to the point of view of that person. And, and I have been finding more and more the things that I really want to optimize, for example, auto-completion and inline errors and like editor support. And these things are very important to me and I want to be able to have that. Uh, and and uh, whatever comparison is done by, by someone else is probably not going to have in mind the things that I think are uh, more important to me. Uh, so the, what I have been doing like lately when exploring technologies or things like that is to try to follow the getting started tutorial of those technologies and just like try to follow the, the very first steps and try to get the feeling of how, how it looks like, how it works. And, and that gives me a lot more uh, of a sense of like, do I like this or not that much? Uh, and at the same time, if following the getting started guide takes one week, then it's also uh, maybe not a great indicator because like maybe this thing is too complex and like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I can start with something simpler and figure and see if that, that's good enough for the things that I want to do. That's also what I, what I recommend with FastAPI. Like when you're thinking like, should I use FastAPI or not? Uh, instead of just reading and reading and reading what others have said that, that you should do or not, uh, I recommend just like reading the, the first page, like the, the main page of the website, just the main page and following that tutorial and like executing it and like running it in, in, in the editor. 
uh, and it will take like 10 times or some uh, 10, 10 minutes or something like that it's just just that no not more but that's enough to get a feeling of hey i like this or not like do i like this approach or is it too weird to me and like i'm so used to working with django that i really don't want to try this thing it's too weird uh, or maybe you can say like okay this this looks nice maybe i can try more that's i think that's kind of my approach now try to try to use the actual tool a little bit uh, in some cases from the same uh, examples now i can uh, before running the code i can know that hey this cannot provide auto completion this won't be able to do uh, checks for the types because there's no way to annotate this type of thing uh, just because like i have been getting so deep into this type of notation and these things but i feel like the, the best way just to try to run the code try to test it locally a little bit and that gives a lot more sense of like does it work for me or not mm. incredible so so good man i i really appreciate this viewpoint <laughs> of me bringing it's like in the way that i see your framework or what you are trying to do is you're really, really deep on certain things that you really enjoy, or maybe it's not that you're only deep in this area, but you really enjoy and you're, you're shaped, like what you're passionate about, how can you bring that to other areas? And so I think about when, when you're talking about using uh, AnyScale and Ray, and how can you bring auto-completion to that, right? So that is just, that's super awesome to see. Um, I think my... Video might have gone out for a sec, but uh, but this is this is great. Uh, I think we can end it there. Unless Adam, do you have any final words? Um, just really fascinating. I could honestly listen to you talk about it all day. It's it's obvious <laughs> that you've done the hard miles of developing like the deep technical expertise on the thing that, like Demetrius was saying, you really care about. And actually, when you get over the hill of difficulty there you can start to apply that and add value all over the shop right so that's really really cool no look thanks very much it's been um yeah it's been great speaking to you so <laughs> amazing everyone out there if you want to or i highly encourage you to follow sebastian on linkedin you'll just see him posting all pictures of him traveling around the world and it will make you very jealous <laughs> him meeting with all kinds of cool people or follow him on twitter we'll leave the links to those below and then you can check out fast api we'll leave a link to that he's also on git he's got an incredible github that you can check out we got all the links for you in the description and that's it i think we can end it there thanks sebastian Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. You know, like I, I, I had so many doubts that I will be able to bring anything useful to the MLOps community. Oh, but it, it's been uh, fantastic. It was very, very fun chatting with you too.